Good morning, Bethesda. How are you doing today? Well, this is one of those Sundays, and I would rather get it all done at one time. Time change. How many of you were struggled to get up this morning? We have a few folks who should be coming in for church maybe any moment here. That's okay. Spring break. Lots of folks gone on spring break. And then this thing about coronavirus, that's hitting us hard. Can you just agree with me that God will find the remedy? Not find, He has the remedy, and that He will let us find the remedy to this thing in the name of Jesus. It's nothing beyond what our God can do. So anyway, um, it's still a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Can you say amen to that? Balcony, are you there this morning? I can't see you too well. Ah, there you are. Good, good. Our dear, dear brother, in case you haven't heard, our dear brother Steve Rousseau went to be with the Lord yesterday morning about 8.20. And um, um, he's, uh, I've made several visits to, to be with them. And a couple of weeks ago, maybe three, we sat at the dining room table when he was still very uh, lucid and able to communicate and all the plans for his funeral were made. You know, he sang in this choir for 30 plus years. And so he has a strong... Um, affinity for the music ministry in this house. His funeral will be this Saturday here at Bethesda at 2 o'clock, at 2 o'clock. I believe now all at the time I was there yesterday with uh, his wife and daughter, not all the plans have been made, but we were just in a preliminary way planning on a visitation. I think it may be here at the church also on Friday night, and then it'll be visitation also from noon to 2 on, on Saturday. So check our website uh, this week uh, as we finalize the details because I know he was dearly beloved in this in this fellowship. I was just thinking um, how many, he was a funeral director, an undertaker, and over the last 30 plus years, how many funerals uh, he and I have done together over the years. He was my partner when it came to funerals and he did an excellent, excellent job and he will be greatly missed. So we pray the grace of God be upon the family in Jesus' name. And the church said... You ready for the word of the Lord today? <clears throat> All right. Of the five senses that God has given to each of us, sight, hearing, touch, taste, smell, which one do you think is the most important? Really? Maybe I should ask which one you would be least willing to give up. Yeah, that's probably, that's the answer I'm looking for anyway. <laughs> sight. Scientists actually tell us that sight is the most important sense because it's the one we use the most. It's the one that gives us most information. It allows us to connect with our surroundings. It keeps us safe. It helps us to maintain the sharpness of our minds. And I would propose to you for all those reasons that this is not only true in the natural, but it's also in the spiritual as well. Let me, let me just go over, the, go over that. It's the one we use the most. Think of it now, not in the natural, but in the spiritual. It's the one we use the most. It's the one that gives us the most information. It allows us to connect with our surroundings. It keeps us safe. Hello. It, and it helps to maintain the sharpness of our minds. How many of you would agree that your sight is important? Back in, um, I think it was the mid to late 90s, we sang a song around here. It was very popular. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Anybody remember that song? 
Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. It was written by uh, a dear brother, Paul Beloche, based on the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1.18, which says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. Being able to see is critically important for all of us, lest we wander in darkness physically or spiritually. We need to see what is going on around us. Often, we need to see uh, to be able to know the truth of what is happening. If we can't see, we can't ascertain the details of what's happening. Sometimes we can't even know the truth of, what, uh, of what's taking place. Scripture says you shall know the truth and the tr- truth shall set you free. I will always remember a phrase that Pastor Des used so often, and that is this. There is grace for truth grace for truth. We sometimes would get in a tangled situation, a complicated uh, family situation or church situation, and, and sometimes the biggest challenge was just deciphering what the, what's the truth. What, we've got this story and this story, and they don't line up. What, what is the truth? And so often he would say, but Don, there's grace for truth. And what he really meant was this. What, he says, when you know the truth and you're able to see the truth, it means God gives you a special enabling. That's what grace is. Gives you a special enabling to deal with and to cope with the truth. So there's grace for truth. We need to see for protection. I'm just wondering if anybody has anyone in your life, like I've had a few in my life, who you thought was completely blind to what was going on. Murmur, 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 mumble, mumble. They just didn't see it. How many times, even Becky and I have talked about a situation, and said, I, I just don't think they see it. I, I, I think they're just blind, blind to it. It is critically important that we are able to see. Well, with that sort of idea thrown out there, allow me to introduce our text today, which is found in Luke chapter, eight, no, yeah, chapter 18. The Gospel of Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 35, if you want to turn in your Bibles or your devices. Luke 18 starting with 35, where we read this. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. They told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, here's what the people said. They said, be quiet. People in front yelled at him. But when they did that, he only shouted louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. I love that. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. Would you say that with me? I. And Jesus said, all right. Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And instantly, say instantly. Instantly. One more time. The man could see. Instantly the man could see. And he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. 
This incident, which I know you know well, and I'm sure you've read many times and heard many sermons about it, it's recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, albeit with subtle differences. I just, just kind of as a matter of interest, I want to identify that. In Mark's account, he identifies the blind beggar and names him, says he is blind Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus. But in Matthew's, and you see that we just read through Luke, his name was not given. In Matthew's account, Matthew indicates that there were actually two blind men, not just one. So does this mean this is biblical contradiction? No, and let me tell you why. Theologians and commentators, when you do your research and you you dig into this, you find out, they tell us that Mark and Luke simply reference one blind man because though there were actually two, one was more outspoken and therefore made himself known. Probably one was more quiet and reserved, but Bartimaeus was absolutely not afraid to get out there and get up in Jesus' face and and say what he did and, and request what he did. And Mark identifies him as Bartimaeus. Now, this appears, this story to us, appears to be almost a casual, oh, and and by the way, this happened. You know, Jesus was walking to Jerusalem. It was his final journey to Jerusalem. We know why he was going there. Oh, and by by the way, yeah, yeah, this happened. But as we know, and I remind you, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is inspired by God. And all Scripture is given for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Nothing in Scripture is by happenstance. Nothing is. Though it could actually appear that being the case uh, in our text here today. The entire life of Jesus, and most certainly his public ministry, is an illustration to us of something that is within the heart of God, something God wants us to know. That's why it made it into the canon of Scripture. There's, it's something in there, no matter how casual it looks, no matter how almost insignificant, not that the healing of a blind man is insignificant, but no, no matter how, by the way, it appears to be, there is something distinctive that God wants us to know. So give me just a brief moment to talk about where this incident took place because it's going to be important in just a minute. We just read it. Jesus is passing through Jericho on his final journey to Jerusalem to face his impending death. Now, Jericho is a place where years before, actually hundreds of years before, in his pre-incarnate state, Jesus appeared. Well, what does that mean? We've talked about this before. Christ has always existed. You know that's to be true. For in the beginning was the, and the Word was made, and dwelt among us. That would be Christ. He has always been. And there are several appearances of Christ actually in the Old Testament. So people who want to say, well, but he wasn't born until Bethlehem in in the New Testament. But there are uh, pre-incarnate appearances of Christ all throughout the Old Testament. Of course, they take place before he was born in Bethlehem. That's why they're called pre-incarnate. These appearances of Christ are uh, are all considered to be the, the pre-incarnate state, and one of them takes place in Jericho. How many remember Joshua fit the battle of? And the walls came? Now oh, you are awake this morning. Thank the Lord. So, with that in place, let me remind you, 
keep our text in mind, but I have to take you from the New Testament that we just read, and I have to take you back about 1,490 years. Go ahead and cue my cute little thing that I found. Isn't that great? I thought it was so appropriate for today, especially. Moving the clock, okay? We're going back in time from Luke in the New Testament all the way back to Joshua, all right? Now, keep this in place with me. The people of God, now back in Joshua's time, under the hand of Moses, were coming out of bondage, having been held in captivity in Egypt. They spent years in the wilderness, and now an, a, another generation is coming into the place of promise. Now, you don't need to turn there, but let me read to you from Joshua chapter 5 to get this all in place. Joshua 5 says this, when Joshua was, was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am commander or captain of the Lord's army. Guess who that is? That's the pre-incarnate Christ. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. The Canaanites there inside, they were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. No one was allowed to go out or in. In other words, hear this, there is a stronghold in this place of promise. Think about that. In a place of promise, in a place of victory, because this could be said of you and me today, in a place of salvation, in a place of provision, in the place that Jovan was, was admonishing us this morning. We woke up, we had breath to breathe, we could use our hands. Most of us can see and, and a few of us can hear well. A few of you can hear well. And, and all it is a, a season of promise for us, and essentially what we see, Jesus Christ is the promised land for the New Testament believer. That's what all these stories are leading to. That's who he is in your life. But the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given you Jericho. It's the stronghold in the place of promise. You need to, you need to think about that. I'm not sure I've made that point very well yet. I have given you Jericho, its king and its strong warriors. Now, understand that when Joshua looks with his natural eye, what he sees is a city that's all shut up preparing for battle with walls so thick they cannot be penetrated by any human effort. The walls of Jericho were said to be uh, so thick that you could literally drive a chariot on the top of them. People lived in apartments or, or, or housing units in the walls there. That's how thick they were. And before the victory, while this is still a strong, uh, um, uh, formidable type place that he sees, before the victory, the Lord said to Joshua, See, see, I have given you Jericho, its king, and its strong warriors. But when Joshua looks 
What he sees is a fortified city with thick walls, intact, all defenses firmly in place, and he's looking at a stronghold in the promised land. Hmm. But the Lord is asking Joshua to see with his spiritual eyes that which his natural eyes cannot see. Have you ever been asked or, of the Lord or confronted by the Lord to see with your, natural eye, uh, with your spiritual eye that which your natural eye cannot see? You may be there today. And may I just say this, you have to be walking with God to see with your spiritual eyes. Now you and I know that the children of Israel walked into that place of promise and with strict confidence in the Word of God, they were given instructions which really looked to be utterly foolish in the natural, completely foolish, which was this, walk around the city once each day for six days, carrying ram's horns, but not allowed to say anything or do anything. You can't talk. Now, that alone is a miracle in itself, that the church, you know, or the people of God not talking for six days. You're not allowed to talk. You can't do anything, but you, do, but you march around the walls once a day for six days. But then on the seventh day, how many know seven is the number of perfection in God, all right? On the seventh day, go around seven times. And then when you do that, though you've not been allowed to say a word for the previous six days, when you do that, I want you to shout as loud as you can. And when the people shouted, the walls of the city fell flat. <laughs> okay. When am I going to go here? <clears throat> when the people shouted, the walls of the city fell flat. Now, one of the things that a little study will show you, history, historians will tell us, that those walls fell inwardly like this, which is technically impossible because you can't cause walls to fall inward in a circle. But it is said that the walls of Jericho fell inwardly. And the people went up to conquer this first stronghold in the place of promise. Now, let me ask you this. Why did God choose this unique and peculiar military strategy for this first battle in the promised land? Why? Because here's what we all know, and I'm assuming you believe it as I do. We all know that God could have spoken the word and Jericho would have vaporized just like that. It would have been gone. Poof, gone. But you see, the real battle with Jericho was not with the Canaanites who were on the inside. The battle was with the Israelites. The, the battle was not with the wall of a city, but the battle was with human hearts. Selah. Should I wait till next Sunday to preach this? <clears throat> are, you, are you with me today? God's intent was clear that he was going to give his people victories which could only be won through their faith in his power. That's the only way this was going to happen. Not by human effort. Not by human reasoning. And thank God that we have the ability to reason and, and to put forth effort. But the victory that God wants to give is a victory of faith. 
That which seems impossible, impenetrable to you, God can make it happen. It is the victory that comes by the power of God and not even by human intellect. It doesn't come by our reasoning nor by the best of our efforts. However, sometimes as a people, we forget our own history and we so easily forget the power of God and what he's capable of doing. Now, take this moment of the appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ to Joshua and where the people walk in obedience in their first step into the promised land. And by the way, their obedience is the main part. That's the main component, the, the, the main lesson, the message of the whole thing of, of the walls of Jericho falling. It's the obedience of the people of God. That is the message there. They obeyed by faith and the miraculous happened and they could conquer an impenetrable city. Now, you got all that in place? Let's fast forward, <clears throat> media, let's fast forward. Isn't that cute? Back to the Gospel of Luke, okay? The hands even go in the right direction. Fast forward with me some 1490, it's approximate, years later. That same Christ comes once again walking into Jericho. The same Jesus, the same commander of the Lord's army, the same one who holds all power in his hands, the same one whose word has the ability to raise the dead, to calm the seed, to stop the wind, and even to give sight to the blind, the same one who was in the beginning with God and through him all things were created. That's the same one that spoke to Joshua back when in the pre-incarnate condition, and here he comes now walking on physical legs. He comes near Jericho, the physical Christ is now passing by. I think that's interesting to keep all that pulled together. The first place, he's walking by the first place of victory. That place the people of Israel knew about, they knew the walls had fallen, they knew their history, that the walls had fallen down. They knew their history, they, they knew what God had done. And you, you might ask this, you might say, well, well, now wait a minute. I thought the walls had come a-tumbling down on Jericho. How is it now 1,490 years later in the New Testament, we have a story about this place. Well, I'm so glad you asked that because I've got a good answer for you. It's because there were actually two Jerichos. The old ruined city where the walls came tumbling down and the new one built by Herod the Great and they stood about one mile apart. But let's all put it all in the same zip code, okay? Both of them. And instead of a mass group of people shouting for victory, now in the book of Luke, in the New Testament, what we see is a blind man sitting by the side of the road begging. That which had been a shout of victory had diminished into a pitiful plea of bondage. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people in front of him yelled him to be quiet. But that only caused him to cry out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You see, the crowd we see here in Luke's gospel would almost seem to think, it would appear to us, that they had moved beyond the days of miracles and mercy. Be quiet. It's not what we're here for. They've moved beyond the days of miracles and mercy. And doesn't that sound uncomfortably familiar to you? It could easily be said of our day that we've moved beyond the days, that many people believe we've moved beyond the days of miracles and mercy. 
We've moved beyond knowing how to simply call out or cry out to God because we're much more sophisticated than that today. We've moved beyond simple obedience, which, again, was the key element of the Old Testament experience with the walls of Jericho. For there, their, their obedience was the expression of their faith. We're a much more dignified people than to march around a city blowing our trumpets and shouting to God with the voice of triumph. No, we, we understand so much more today. We have so much more technology and understanding. That's just too simplistic for the complicated, educated, smart world we live in today. We've moved beyond miracles and, and, and mercy to sophistication and strategy. Crying out for miracles and mercy is old-fashioned, and, and aren't, we're beyond that now, aren't we? That's why few churches have prayer meetings anymore. That's why we rarely even see anyone, we rarely see anyone crying out to God because we become so smart and we have it all figured out now. We have all the strategies. We have all the self-help books. We have all the church growth conferences. We have all the stuff that, that tells you how to do this. You've probably heard me say this before. I have attended a pastor's conference where in the halls I was asked, so Dan, what, uh, you're pastoring Bethesda, right? Yeah, is that in Fort Worth? Yes. Uh, so what business model are you building Bethesda after? Are you using Starbucks uh, business model? Is that the, the model that you're using to build Bethesda? I don't even know how to answer that, people. Because what I have to say is, no, we're using the Word of God. That's what we have left to build Bethesda upon. I don't want to seem arrogant about it. or any, We're not any better than anybody else. But let me tell you, if we don't have the Word of God as the foundation for everything that we do, then we have no business being here. We will, we have, we shall remain people of the Word. And we will be guided by what the, what the Word of God says. That's why every week somebody gets up here, whoever it is, they preach their heart out so that we have an understanding of the truth and we know what God is saying to us in our day, in our generation, and applying the Word of God to us today. We think we've got it all figured out, we've got all the things that we need. But the one thing we don't seem to have in our day and age is faith and power for the miraculous in the kingdom of God. So on this day, in our Luke text, where Jesus is passing by Jericho, a blind man, at least one, probably it was another, is crying out to Jesus for healing. But the crowd told him to be quiet. They told the man who deals with a stronghold to be quiet. They told the man who is forced to live in darkness to be quiet. They told the man who can't see any way forward in his life to be quiet. To the man who has no possible way of getting out of the situation he faces, the crowd told him to be quiet. And the prayerless churches in our generation are a testimony as to how far we have, we have removed ourselves from God and the power of Almighty God. We would rather tell somebody, be quiet. You don't have the right to ask that. You need to be quiet. You want my proof? Look at our nation today. Look what's happening in our schools. You don't need me to color in the details. Look at the moral decline of our day. Because we live in such a sophisticated day that we can say to anyone who wants to reach out after God, be quiet. And I'll just say this. 
there is one thing responsible for it. It is not our lack of knowledge. It is not our lack of access to solid preaching of the Word. You can get online and you can go anywhere. It's our lack of commitment to prayer and calling out for the mercy of God. That's exactly what it is. And because that requires a humility which becomes harder and harder and harder to find in the church. We want scientific answers. We want our data. We want the proof of rather than being people of faith who will step out and call out and cry out to God as people of faith because it requires us humbling ourselves to pray. Don't ever forget the Scripture says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. This blind man was not in a position of any kind of authority. He was not a mover and shaker. He couldn't even move with the crowd. They were too fast for him. The only thing in his heart was a cry. The cry was this, God, I want to see. God, I just want to see. I want to see. I want to see. I want to see a way forward. Now, you put this in the natural or the spiritual, whatever way applies to you. I want to see a way forward. God, I, I want to see. I want to see my, my children and my, my grandchildren grow up. God, I, I want to see my family at the table giving glory to God. God, I, I want to see. I want to see my prison door open so that I can be set free. I want to see a way out of my addiction. I want to see a way out of the bondage that I'm in. I want to see a way out of the stronghold in my life. And God, I am at the point, I don't care anymore who knows. I don't care anymore who hears. I don't care who wants to stop me because I've heard that the one who is passing by can perform mighty miracles in my life. The one particular standout in this story is the sheer, desperate persistence of the blind man. It does seem evident to me that somewhere along the line, someone must have told this blind man about Jesus of Nazareth. I can believe that someone told him something like this. You know, um, there was a man who stood up one day in the synagogue, and he opened the book of the prophet Isaiah, and, and, and he he said, said, he gave these words to the people there. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind. I'm, I'm guessing, I could be wrong, but I'm guessing somewhere along the way this information made it to that blind man. He, he knew that. He, he had to have had some knowledge of Christ because he certainly seemed to know who it was that was passing by. And here is this man right by Jericho where it all began, where the people of God first came to the promised land. Here's this poor blind man by the side of the road, and he hears a crowded commotion going by. I wonder what's going on. Wow, there's a lot of, I hear a lot of people. They're making a lot of noise. And everyone that's in part of this commotion, they're trying to steer Jesus in the direction of what they think the future should be. One, one of them might be saying, you know, uh, he's the one with the power to overthrow the Roman government. Another might say, he, he's the one with the power to, uh, to, to feed us. We can get free food for the rest of our days. 
Still another might say, he, he's the one with the power to, to, to calm the storm. And I could see all of them trying to corral Jesus and, and move him in the direction that, that they wanted to go. And the, the way it worked back then is I'm quite sure that Jesus was teaching as they walked along the way. That's when his teaching took place. They're walking along and he's teaching them and everything is just bustling along. And so get that picture in your mind until all of a sudden this man interrupts the whole thing and he, and he starts crying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. Can't you see he's busy? He's teaching us. We understand where he's going. We, 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 we know his plan. We, we, we understand where this whole parade needs to go. So hush, be quiet. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But the journey of Christ is not stopped by any of the religious parade that's going on around him. That's not what stopped him. Jesus is stopped by the cry of one heart. He's stopped by the cry of one man. That's what brings the Son of God to a standstill. The cry of one man, that's what brings a miracle. The cry of one man, that's, that is what is about to change the atmosphere of the entire moment. It's the cry of one heart, which just says, I've had enough of this living in darkness. I've had enough of the bondage. And I hear that the one who can change my life is passing by. And for Jesus, it is always more important to act than to talk. Have you ever heard actions speak louder than? Words always took second place to deeds in the life of Jesus. And here was a human soul in need. Reminds me, everything reminds me of the song. Reminds me of a song we sang when I was a kid. Fanny Crosby wrote this, Jesus is passing this way. Anybody ever sing that? This way today, Jesus is passing this way. He's passing this way today. Bethesda, I challenge you with all of my heart, with all of my heart, when you sense the nearness of God, and there are times in the life of every believer when you sense a very special divine presence. Most often it, it comes when, 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 when your heart is open and, 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 and malleable and, and pliable in God's presence in a time of worship. That's often when it comes, but it could come at any time. I have had the experience of driving along in, 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 in rush hour traffic, and suddenly I sensed the Lord was in the car with me. I had to change my attitude about the other drivers. <laughs> what I'm telling you is, look for Jesus. Look for those times when his presence is so near. You could, you could almost reach out and touch him. And when you sense him, whether it's in your living room, your car, your, your place of work, suddenly you feel that he is near. When you feel the nearness of God, do not, do not, do not hesitate to cry out to him. And whatever you do, don't just sit there or stand there in your pride. Don't ask the master of the universe who hung every star in place. Don't ask him for a new cup so your begging can take on another dimension when you can't see. Don't ask him for a new garment when you can't see and you need healing for your eyes. There are so many things we can ask God for, but this man knew exactly what his struggle was. God, I want to see a way out of my pain. And Jesus called to him and said, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, to receive my sight away out of my darkness. God, I, I, I've heard that you came to give sight to those who are blind. So, oh God, oh God, open my eyes. 
I just got to see a way out of the pain, the pain of rejection, the pain of being marginalized and literally kicked to the curb, the pain of knowing that my future is limited. I want to see a way out of my poverty. I want to see a way into the provision of God. I want to see a way out of my prison. I'm tired of this box I live in. I'm tired of being seen as a nuisance and not a viable contribution to society. And I don't care anymore who's telling me to be quiet. I don't care. I'm not going to be quiet anymore. I'm going to cry out and I'm going to keep crying out, Lord Jesus, until you set me free. And listen, let me tell you something, church. Hear this. There has never, never, never been a spiritual awakening in the history of the Christian church without a cry. Sometimes I just want to say, Lord, would you just let a holy cry out come across Bethesda? Let us, in our sense of desperation for you, in our sense of need for you, let us not be ashamed or, or, or afraid to lift our voice and cry out to you. When a spiritual awakening comes, suddenly pride dies, you don't care anymore, and a cry comes into the heart. And when that happens, men and women everywhere say, I just want to get right with God. I don't care who knows what it costs. I don't care what I have, where I have to go, what I have to do. I just want to be right with God. And then suddenly, the Lord of the universe... The God of all creation, the God who can hear a billion prayers all at one time, he stops when he hears that cry and he goes, just like he did to the blind man, bring that man to me, bring, bring that woman, bring that child, bring that young person, that older person, bring them to me. And face to face, he says to them, what, what do you want me to do for you? Now, it's pretty obvious. Don't you think it was obvious? Plus, he's the omniscient one. He would know what the problem was. Though it was obvious what needed to be done, there are just those times, I hope you will hear this, just those times when we need to come in agreement with God regarding our condition, our own condition. The blind man could have asked for a new coat, and most likely he would have gotten it. He could have asked for a nice new cup, for begging, probably would have gotten it. Or he might have said, you know what, I have a sore on my foot. Could you heal that? But dearly beloved, Jesus wants us to acknowledge our condition, the truth, the real truth of our condition. And he wants us to unashamedly admit what it is that we, that we need. When he says to you, what is it that, that, I, that you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus then said, all right, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And the Bible then says instantly. Say the word. The Bible says instantly. The man could see. I'm asking us today, and I'm believing in faith today, that we're going to see a revival of the instantly. The instantly. Now hear me. I know many of you have been suffering for years and you've been prayed for by countless numbers of people and I know how that can chip away at your faith. But I'm standing here today to remind all of us that we serve the God of the right now. We serve the God of the instantly. We have just read it in the word today and instantly the man received his sight. It happened in our text and we know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
There just might be an instantly for you today if you're willing to humble yourself and cry out to God and not care who sees you or what anyone else thinks. Somebody in the church ought to say hallelujah. Oh, come on, lift a hallelujah. Raise your hallelujah. Gerard, I'm going to wrap up pretty soon. I need you to come and help me. And that's exactly what happened back in the same place called Jericho hundreds of years before. When they walked in obedience and believed in faith that God could do the supernatural, they walked around that seventh time. They lifted up a mighty shout. I said they lifted up a mighty shout. Lifted up a mighty shout. And the Bible says, and instantly the walls fell down. I promise you that if you will call out to God, he will do something for you that you cannot do for yourself. He will do something for you that no other power can do. When you hear the voice of the Lord asking you, what is it that you want me to do for you? Tell him the truth. Tell him the real truth, the true truth. Tell him that you have laid tracks in your mind that have made place for that which is now tormenting you day and night. Tell him the truth. Tell him how it has worked its way into your life and now it's a stronghold and you need the walls of that thing to come crumbling down. You need deliverance instantly in the name of Jesus. Tell him that. There are others here today who have been wounded and hurt and abused and you don't know how you're ever going to be whole. Tell that to the Lord. Tell the truth. When he asks you, what is it you would have me do for you today? Tell him the truth. This message is asking you to cry out to God for healing of your heart and have the grace to forgive those who have hurt you. Some of you live with an addiction to a mentality of low esteem, low self-esteem, and you don't know how to get out of it. You've been in it for decades or the entire, the, the, the whole of your life. Cry out to the one who is passing by today to put life in your being and nourishment in your soul to see the value that he has placed in you in Jesus' name. So the question on March the 8th, 2020 to Bethesda Church is this. Who here wants their eyes opened? Who wants to see again? Who wants to be delivered from that which plagues you? If that's you, I want you to stand to your feet right now.